Welcome to our All Saints Eve edition of Fresh New Shorts. Listen to new short fiction from award-winning writers. The Crucifix of Niccolo Eldervrandi by John Blackmore pays homage to the settings, characters, and atmosphere of an Edgar Allan Poe story. A Florentine priest near the end of his life is confronted about a body missing from its grave, one that should have been interred decades ago. The priest has been dealing in corpses, simple farmers, soldiers, servants, for a greater good. But his decision about what to do with the deceased and beautiful Niccolo Aldovrandi returns to haunt him. The Crucifix of Niccolo Aldovrandi From his balcony, the old priest watched the boy in dark robes, running up the windy path to his villa near Fiesoli. Father del Sarto wondered if this were the day. In preparation, he had rehearsed his confession often, perfecting it over the years, anticipating the discovery of his crime. At first, he had feared the uncovering of his actions, a fear so deep and gripping that he could neither eat nor sleep and was often physically ill with guilt. But then, as time trudged on, the fear became acceptance, and then latterly, a stage where he hoped they would discover him, to allow him to confess, to throw himself nobly before the church and beg forgiveness, the forgiveness he preached to others. And now, as an old man, all of it had numbed into a state where he did not care, and wondered whether he would tell the truth or lie to them, and a wisdom that either path did not truly matter. He moved away from the window and poured himself more wine. He had already forgiven himself for the first sin. After all, they were just bodies, ashes and dust, they said. Did it matter? Father Del Sardo sat back in his chair. His sudden conviction in his own philosophy had excited his heart into a rapid beating, and then a quaver to his head, as if his neck could not bear the weight of his thinking. But it was not simply one sin. It was the other act of commission. He placed the cup of wine on his table and stared down the hallway from his rooms to the door of his locked private chapel. There. That was the sight of his gravest sin. He closed his eyes. They would not punish him for it. God would. Father Del Sarto leaned his head back slowly until the room began to turn in circles and dizziness overtook him. It was the same manner in which he viewed the artist's work on the papal ceiling. He had secured entrance into the chapel several years ago during a visit to Rome. The dizziness of bending your head back to look straight up made the experience that much more powerful. He had heard it rumored that the artist was now working on another fresco for another pope, another for the Sistine. He would be about sixty years old now, Del Sardo thought. Yes, if I'm seventy-five. When we first met, Del Sardo thought, I was so much younger, and you, Bonarati, were not yet twenty. The young artist was the talk of Florence. Del Sardo had seen his work, some drawings, and most notably, the Battle of the Centaurs. 
he remembered reaching out and tracing the bas-relief carving of a tumult of naked men fighting the half-horse, half-human creatures. All of the bodies twisting and wrapping around each other in frantic contortions of violence and passion. At the same time, there was an odd connection or community to their action. It was a terrible writhing dance that engaged them all in precise and vibrant effort. You could hear the clang and thud of weapons on flesh. The sculpture shocked many. Yet we were honest enough in that time to admit that it shocked and delighted us. There's energy in the artist's stone, in his wood, in his brush. What he carved or touched was graced with life. Then, one night, he appeared in my church, Del Sarto remembered. How had he known I was there? It was late, and the sepulchral Santa Croce, never as bright as the Duomo, was in darkness, except for the candles I was lighting around the memorial to Dante. The artist was tall, with fine dark hair blown wild by the winds that swirled outside my church. He walked up to me confidently as I turned to face the sound of footsteps. I rose myself up to stand tall and intimidating, a trick I had learned from older priests. Most shrank from me and what I represented, but this boy possessed more poise than I could muster. Father, we are alone? His first words to me, a command more than a request. Even before I answered, his darting eyes took in the whole scene and determined we were. His next question, do you know my work? Such arrogance, but I was caught by him and replied, Yes, of course, young Buonarati, I know your work. Have you come to confess some sin? The artist shifted his weight from one leg to the other. His impatience made me uneasy. No sins to confess, father. I have come to offer my services and form an agreement. Of course, it would be there in the accusing glow of candles from Dante. What agreement? I asked. I wish to be allowed a room to work in and bodies to study. You hold the dead here. I want to be the artist of the human form. I want to honor it, to represent it as truly as possible. And here the young boy faltered in trying to express an idea he had perhaps only seen as an image. Do you believe the human body is good, father? Del Sarto's replaying of that night was interrupted by knocking on his villa's door. Come in, Del Sarto called out. He listened as the out-of-breath messenger came in. Here, my son, I'm up here. He waited as the messenger ascended the stairs. He saw the young, dark face, wet with sweat. A boy, younger than the artist when he first visited that night. At least it was a message boy, not done yet with his vows, rather than a decade of soldiers with their steel. Del Sarto sighed. We old are so filled with a sense of our own importance. The boy knelt before Del Sarto and produced a rolled message from under his cloak. He thrust it towards the priest quickly, as if afraid it may burst into flames or turn into a snake. 
The elder priest opened it and read the first lines. He put it in his lap. Delsardo motioned for the boy to stop kneeling and take a seat. Water, he offered. The boy nodded. Delsardo took up the carafe and poured the liquid into the cup, saw the redness, and then remembered he was drinking wine. He shrugged and gave it to the boy. The messenger drank it in quick gulps and put the cup back on the table. He was unnerved by the way the old priest looked at him, and even then threw him, as if he were not really there. Delsarto just closed his eyes, as if going to sleep. Our shadows were long and dancing on the marble floor, Delsarto said. The boy watched him in confused silence. So, the artist wanted to know what I thought of the human form. Was it good? Was it beautiful? Now, I will tell you, my son. The priest's eyes opened up and he pointed at the messenger. As you sit here, I have seen bodies. Young, old, male, female, full of life, drained of it. Yes, they are beautiful. Do you know what I've learned about God in these many years of being his servant? God would not make something that was not perfect, not beautiful. He made us, yes, we are beautiful. I will tell you something else. I remember a young couple, a brazen pair, who crept into my church one night to make love. You may say it is a desecration. How dare they do such a thing? A thing? What is it? It is an act of hope, of creation, of life. I was in the shadows of a side altar, praying. I heard them. The joyful, bell-like sound of an involuntary cry she made despite their attempts at muffling themselves. I should have swooped down upon them, a black vulture of God, to castigate them. But they were no more than Adam or Eve in a garden or a church, all in the sight of God. How many naked men and women does God see each day? How many men and women in the act of making love? But this is all foolishness, Delsardo said. His voice sank. Foolishness. Here, another cup of wine. The messenger accepted it. I answered the artist's questions. What could I say? Yes, I believed the human form was good. I believed it was beautiful. Both my senses and our scripture have told me this. Then he said to me, My wish is to paint and sculpt the human form as precisely as possible. I want my work to be able to spring from its canvas or dais and stride out into our streets, or that we, in turn, could leap from our city and into my marble or paint. That is my wish, the artist said. He spoke with such fervor, like a saint reciting prayers, or so I'm led to believe, as I've not yet met any saints. It was his honesty. He could have chosen to glaze his words with talk about glorifying God or enabling his people to see the miraculous more plainly, but he didn't. His desire was for his betterment, to become, in his own way, his own version of God, making the inanimate live. Such arrogance. Delsardo sat back in his chair to let that moment recoil into the past. The messenger took a more careful sip of the cup. 
The older priest touched the scroll. Do they expect an answer back with you? His eminence does expect your answer now, yes, Father Del Sarto. And you are to bring it? You are to answer at the bottom of the paper, roll it, and I will carry it back. Del Sarto tried to picture the face of the bishop who now ruled his church. It was said he would be a cardinal before long. And you, my son, have you completed your orders? Del Sarto asked. I will be taken into the priesthood in the autumn, the messenger said. Del Sarto nodded. Whether the boy had the chance to see any of the beauty that Buonarotti found so important. He stood up and walked to his cupboard for another bottle of wine. He uncorked it and placed it in front of the boy. This is better. Finish what you have and taste this. The messenger did as he was told. The old priest was right. This was a far richer wine. He nodded his thanks. Del Sardo sat down again. Such arrogance, such talent. That is quite an ambition, I said to him. Yes, the artist said, but to do so I require your help. We stood together beside Dante's candles. You have bodies brought to your church for their rites and burials. Let me have time with them, to understand how their limbs may work, how their muscles attach and flex, how the blood may have moved in their animate forms. I was appalled. I had heard stories of people digging up the dead for such things, but to condone it? These souls are entrusted to the church, to me, I told him. But he pressed. I need more study on the human form. There are secrets inside that will enable me to understand the truth of what we see on the surface, how the beauty is formed. I shook my head. That is not possible. But he would not be persuaded otherwise. Father, what I offer is an accord. I will sculpt for you, for your church. And then, as if in an afterthought, for God. Ah, to have that beauty, that life, that light in my church. I've been staring into the candles rather than his face, and now turned. The flames reflected in his dark eyes, flickering his defiant face into movement. I was not brave enough to speak the word to say yes. I nodded to him. I just nodded. As good as a kiss. Del Sardo slumped in his chair. The messenger took this as a moment of recognition of guilt. The boy took the new bottle of wine and filled the elder priest's cup and offered it to him. Del Sardo drank from it. Know this. When you've worked with people and their faith and their sins for a lifetime, you begin to wonder if there are principles, guidances, that, like our statues, have become, or are more human, Del Sarto tried to explain. There is scripture and there are the teachings of the church, Father Del Sarto, the boy priest said. Del Sarto held up his hand and waved surrender. Of course, my boy, but think of this. Now, you know the genius of this artist. The world knows it. The Holy Father has him working in Rome. That night, all those years ago, I somehow, perhaps as a vision, 
knew that his hands would bring to the earth such sights that only God may know. Teachings would say I am forbidden to offer him the deceased of my parish. But scripture might say I am therefore hiding his light under a bushel. When we are to choose between evils, what should we do? I could choose a sin which would produce a good. With respect, Father, that could never be. Nothing good may come of sin. Del Cerdo stared at the boy. With such lack of imagination, he will make a perfect theologian, the old priest thought. He smiled at the naivete. The crucifixion was evil, but necessary for the resurrection. The messenger opened his mouth, fish-like, but Del Sardo halted him and smiled deprecatingly to say he was only engaging in specious argument. I accept my sin, my son, Del Sardo said. So we began, in sin, but what beauty that sin produced. The first work he completed for my church was a bas-relief of the virgin and child. Oh, such beauty. Del Sardo's eyes were closed, his hands outstretched as if he could touch the sculpture in front of him. You could believe that if you suckled at the smooth swell of her breast, you would receive holy milk. And the cost? So little. A merchant who fell from his horse. A woman killed in a drunken fight. I had blessed them and released their souls long before he had access. I prayed in my study, leaving the young artist to work through the night in the lower chambers. I observed at the beginning to ensure there was no defilement. He had a small roll holding an assortment of knives and metal tools, like a painter with brushes. He would make an intense study of the neck, or the knee, or the cavity that holds our heart. It was difficult work. As you know, bodies, once their souls have left, begin a quick slip into decay. In the morning he would be gone, with beautiful golden threads lacing up the wounds he had cut into the lifeless bodies. Dust to dust, my young priest, ash and ash. But what we made from them, what wonders! Del Sardo paused again, but this time a smile upon his face that hardened. I assure you, what is painted on the Sistine Chapel, or that limp body of Christ in Mary's arms, all of it springs from his work underneath Santa Croce. You may prattle on about no good coming from sin, but I dare you to look up into that ceiling and not be struck by the most profound sense of awe. The messenger didn't answer the priest in his excited assertion. Del Sardo sat back, breathing heavily. He calmed himself. This was, after all, a confession. But, of course, once you give yourself leave for a little sin, others have room to creep in. It was several months after our first meeting near Dante's memorial. I was in my personal rooms when Buonarati burst in with a gust of winter air. His face was white. He was sweating despite the cold. He must have run the full length of the Via Benci. His face was swollen. He had been weeping. Father, he said to me, Niccolo Aldovrandi has died this evening. I want the body. With our agreement, I had given him the corpses of low-born men and women, bodies nobody would mind, but 
Niccolo? The Aldovarandis were gold merchants. Their family had ties to the Medici. Del Sardo pointed to the letter the messenger had carried. Of course, you know all this. The artist was uncontrollable. He paced about my room. Niccolo was my closest and dearest friend, he said. This was unknown to me and struck me as odd. That young Aldovarandi would be a companion of an artist, a contractor to his family. Come with me, he said, and took me by the arm. He led me into my church and up onto the altar. There, your crucifix, you see it? I looked up. Of course, knowing the crucifix from Donatello. I will confess, I had never liked it. Our Lord looking like a peasant farmer. He spun me around and pointed to the crucifix in a side chapel, the one by Chiambuya. Or that one. You love beauty as much as you may love God, Father Del Sarto. I know that. Our arrangement has been good for you, for your church. I create work for you, not just for our arrangement, because you understand and you appreciate my craft. You are touched by it. I see it in your anticipation when I show you what I've created. And now I can make you a crucifix that will astound the world if you give me Niccolo's body. I looked from the crosses to the genius in front of me. It was folly, I knew, to play any game with a family like the Aldovrandis. But, oh, but, my dear messenger, if I didn't, I would never see this promised crucifix. My parishioners would not see it. God would not see it. How many people do you think experience God through our sculptures and stained glass? What faith have we built and propped up with our art? What was I to do? But... Oh, messenger, I was craven. I faltered and lost confidence. To risk discovery by the Aldovrandis was certain death. And it would mean all of our previous work or future projects would be undone. I, I said no. And so our church was filled for the funeral mass of Niccolo Aldovrandi. He was a handsome young man. Santa Croce was filled, and the throngs wailed for the beautiful boy. I noted that Buonarati, for someone so obsessed with Niccolo, sat far back in the church, and did not meet with the family. He was not there at the end when I blessed the box. Telsarto paused and drained his cup of wine. The younger priest filled it again for him. The light was flat and low through the windows. Then, where is the body of Niccolo Aldovrandi? It is not in his tomb, the messenger said. The week of Niccolo Aldovrandi's death and funeral was the time when the unthinkable occurred. The Medici were forced from Florence. All was chaos. All associates of the Medici were suspect by the New Republic. Houses were looted. Graves were desecrated and robbed. So we held the boy's body in safekeeping. The elder Verandes were under house arrest, and their property was forfeit. So I took it upon myself to inter the young Aldovrandi in my own plot. That is where you will find him. In what should be an unoccupied grave with my unfinished stone. It overlooks the Arno and Brunelesco's Patsy Chapel. I will write it all out for you if you require it in my confession.
The messenger now stood up. In a way, he seemed relieved. You will not be condemned. Rather, hailed as a hero, Father Del Sarto. I still traded the bodies of the dead, Del Sarto said. The messenger waved him off. An eccentricity. You were caught up in the wave of artistic expression surging through our city. I am sure it will be forgiven. You offered refuge to the sad dead body of a wealthy family at your expense and peril. Del Sarto did not look up. Eventually he nodded. Please, just write it out as you have described. I cannot see any result beyond leniency. Perhaps, Father, a reward for your quick thinking and compassion. While Del Sarto scribed the details of his confession, the boy walked to the windows in the room and stared out at the fields and vineyards that surrounded the villa. Del Sardo handed the boy the roll of paper with his confession. As he took it, he paused. Father Del Sarto, a question. You mentioned a virgin and child, and I assume there were other works by Michelangelo and Santa Croce, but I am not aware of any now. What has happened to them? After, after I denied him the body of his friend, his lover, I awoke in the night to hear the sounds of destruction in my church. I ran into Santa Croce to see the artist madly swinging mallets at his works. The virgin and child lay in fragments of stone on the floor. Two angels that hung in a column had fallen to earth. I had broken our contract. He relinquished his gifts. The boy truly looked sad by this. I am so sorry to hear this. Santa Croce would truly be blessed by such art. It is a dark church that would benefit from such gifts of a master. Delcerto nodded his agreement. All is in my note for your priest, he said. I am glad to see that the Aldevarandes are once again prominent and prosperous. They will be assets to anyone seeking cardinal's robes, Delcerto said. At the door, the boy turned to the older priest. I do not think they will punish you, Father Del Sarto. Misplacing a few bodies, but protecting a rich family's son, that should erase the sin. Del Sarto put his hand on the boy's shoulder. That all he cared about was the shriveled body of Niccolo from so many years ago. Not the loss of treasures the world had never seen. Thank you, my son, he said and turned quickly to rush into his villa before the sight of the boy and the thought of what he represented sickened him into retching. Tosardo closed the door to his visitor and bent forward, hands on his knees to catch his breath. He returned to his upstairs apartments and poured more wine into his cup. The day faded into twilight, finally provoking Del Sarto to light a lantern. He looked down the hallway that led to his private chapel. He stood and took his robes down from a hook and reached in for the key that matched his chapel door. He walked down the hall and opened the chapel. As always, he did not look up in the room, but let his gaze start at the floor. Then, slowly, he let it ascend until it reached the bottom wood of the crucifix. He was of the belief that the sight 
full force of this work would blind you, as if you had stared into the sun, or perhaps in a more pagan way, the sight would turn you to stone or salt. It was Niccolo Aldovrandi. It was the crucifix that Buonarroti had sculpted with his lover affixed to the cross. The boy that the artist had so clearly loved was there, carved into hanging on the cross, and at the same time not bound by it. The full lips of Niccolo's grimaced mouth somehow twisted into a smile, a mystery such as those he had thought only God could create. Del Sarto fell prostrate on the floor. He had not refused the artist the body of the beautiful Niccolo Aldovarandi. He did not admonish him when he found them embraced on the stone table in his lower chambers, Buonarroti weeping as he held his dead friend. How many men had God seen naked and in love? How could Del Sarto be a judge more than God? The artist worked quickly to create the wooden sculpture, but even Buonarroti could not work that fast. He insisted that he have the body for one more day. Then he would be finished. And that day had made all the difference. It was true what he had told the foolish messenger. The Medici had fallen, and they could not place Niccolo's body in the proper tomb. But that was not his gravest sin. After arranging the interment in his own plot, Del Sarto returned to his church to find the new Buonarroti crucifix hanging in his principal chapel. The artist stood there, next to it, knowing what he had created and somehow, in his passionate madness, not realizing what he had truly done. Hanging on the twin beams of wood, it was Niccolo Aldovrandi. Anyone would see it. Del Sardo was transfixed. The cross and body were carved from wood, but in some mystery of transubstantiation, the wood had become flesh. Every other crucifix he had seen made him think of the nails, spikes driven into flesh, tearing through skin and muscle and bone, but, but this, this crucifix did not shout about nails. It had them, of course, carved the size of fingers and driven into the wrist and feet, but this, you did not think about death. The body of Niccolo Aldovrandi, the face of Niccolo Aldovrandi, all of it saw past the crucifixion and through the death and into the resurrection. Here was a crucifix that was a resurrection. It told the story of the Easter sacrifice and the Easter glory all in one image. The face and mouth and eyes of the man Buonarroti loved. Niccolo Aldovrandi was staring at them all, looking past death to his day of arising. That was how Buonarroti had wanted him, and that's how he had created him. Del Sarto rolled over onto his back to lie on the cold chapel floor. Then, then he had committed his greatest sin, his cowardice. He could not have such a crucifix in Santa Croce. Everyone would know it was Niccolo, Jesus. People would talk. He took it down and hid it away from the world. That is what incensed the young artist to destroy all of the other works he had created in Santa Croce. 
Del Sardo sat up and approached the crucifix. It was time. He lifted the heavy wooden cross off the wall. It left a ghost image of unfaded panels behind it. He put it over his shoulder and carried it out of his chapel and to the door of his villa. He walked past the vineyard that rose up a small bank upon his hill. The crucifix was heavy, but Del Sarto continued, dragging it to the summit and then collapsing beside it. He gathered twigs and pieces of vine left from the winter, tinder that would be easy to catch. He walked back down to his villa and returned with his lantern and candle. The sun had set. The messenger boy would be miles away. Still cautious, Del Sarto hesitated. Perhaps there would be a sign. Would he recognize it? He waited for something, for anything. The sun was gone. The evening stars came out. The world, as some said, revolved as it may. Resigned, he piled the wood underneath the cross and then lit it from the lantern. One must burn all holy things, Del Sarto knew. The fire caught and spread to the wood of Buonarati's crucifix and his dead lover. The flames caught and blazed. Del Sarto sat next to the bonfire all night long, awake until the sun arose again and the crucifix of Niccolò Aldebrandi was burnt and released into the air. Wind took the smoke toward Florence and his former church. Early that morning, as they awoke, as they washed, as they sang or made love, some fortunate souls breathed in the holy soot and were provoked to crossing themselves, unaware of why. We hope you enjoyed our tale of mystery and imagination. This is one of the many stories available from Fresh New Shorts. Please rate us five stars and leave your comments wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can learn more about us at freshnewshorts.podbean.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you back here again.